Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening, where we have the opportunity to continue our reflection into the uh, life and thought of one Pope Francis. Again, by life, uh, what we intend to do is really uh, get into what is going on in the life and the pontificate of Pope Francis. Alongside of that, we take up his work, Joy of the Gospel, his apostolic exhortation on the new evangelization, a document where he really puts an emphasis on the importance of joy in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, this is what we are about this Wednesday evening. And as always, I have Bob Cross joining me. So, Bob, it is great to have you with me another evening. Excellent to be here, Joe. Thank you. So, uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been together, Bob. I was away on vacation, and certainly it's uh, great to be back and great to have you in the studio with me. Uh, a few things have been going on, certainly of note, is the fact that uh, our Holy Father has lost some family. The Pope's uh, grandnephews, Antonio, age eight months, and Jose, age two, were killed along with their mother, 39-year-old Valeria Carmona. Uh, the Holy Father's nephew, Emmanuel Horatio Bergoglio, is in hospital in criti- critical condition, according to the Vatican News, and so certainly uh, our Holy Father has shared appreciation for those who have been praying for him, and uh, certainly, moreover, for their family. Uh, evidently, their car was uh, traveling. Uh, the car was struck by a uh, loaded truck with corn, uh, reports say. So Father Lombardi said the Pope was informed of the tragic accident in Argentina involving some of his family and is deeply saddened. He added that the Pope calls on all those who share in his grief to join him in prayer. Uh, Bob, in today's Wednesday audience, uh, these were his words. I thank you for the prayers and condolences for what happened in my family. Even the Pope has a family. We are five siblings. I have 16 nieces and nephews. One of these nephews had a, a car accident. His wife died as well as two young children. One was two years old and the other only a few months old. And he right now is in critical condition. I thank you so much, so much for your condolences and prayers. It's interesting here, Bob, he seems to emphasize his humanity in his emphasis. The Pope has a family. He has a family. Yeah, yeah. even the Pope. We forget about that. <laughs> I have, we, we are five siblings. I have 16 nieces and nephews. It's this continued emphasis of him wanting everyone around him to remember that he is human, to remember that he comes from the same place that everyone else does, a human family. We are five siblings. I have 16 nieces and nephews. This is very important to our Holy Father. And certainly, as he notes, our prayers for him are very important to him. Sure, and if you know know anybody who leads a consecrated life, uh, who's a a religious, they um, they become very, very close to their nieces and nephews. You know, they don't have actual biological children of their own. They have extended families that includes their pastoral work, but they're they're family. They're they're 
children of his, uh, you know, his brother's son is, is got to be really important to him. It's, it's got to be tough. And like you said, we forget that he has a family. He's, he's not beyond the same sorrows and, and problems that we all face each and every day. That's well said, Bob. And it is easy to forget, you know, when we don't hear brother or sister and we hear cousins or nieces or nephews or aunts and uncles, we don't always think, well, he, he probably wasn't close to, to him or her. But in reality, especially, especially in a culture, in a South American culture where family is such an emphasis, where nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles are like brothers and sisters, is certainly... Certainly he was close to them. I mean, I'm not close with my aunts and uncles per se, but I am quite close with some nieces and nephews. And when I first uh, got wind of this news, yeah, the first thing you do is you kind of think about your own relationships. And in God's infinite wisdom, this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to take a step back and appreciate the gifts that have been given to us in our own relationships. So yeah, so we definitely need to pray for um, our Holy Father uh, in particular, uh, those who are suffering during this time. With that, Bob, there was another uh, significant event over the past few weeks, in particular this past week, when our Holy Father went to Korea. Uh, certainly this was in the news because it's Korea. <laughs> you know, the first time the Pope has been there. Uh, a couple of pieces of note here in his trip. He beatified 124 martyrs. His message was clear. The blood of the martyrs is effective Christian seed. You know, that was the great line from Tertullian when he was talking about how the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He wants the Catholic and the Christian faithful to understand the importance of those who've gone before them is invaluable to the way in which they are called now to a witness to uh, the gift of faith that God has given to them. And so he really exhorted them. He really challenged them, particularly the youth. Bear witness to the faith that has been given to you. He really encouraged the youth to uh, live uh, the Catholic faith more boldly. And so his trip to Korea was important for the church as he beatified uh, 124 mar martyrs. It was important because of his presence. Now, how important is it that any one Holy Father leaves the Vatican uh, walls so as to uh, be present, to bring the presence of Christ into these places that have never experienced the presence of a Pope. And how with that presence, the charism that comes with the office, those present might experience healing, might experience, again, that encouragement, might experience renewal, so many people have already said in the brief pontificate of Pope Francis, uh, Bob, that just by being in his presence was a kind of spiritual renewal. Many have said the same thing about Benedict XVI and, and of certainly St. John Paul II. And I'm just not talking about, you know, popes. This is what they say of saints. When you're in the presence of holiness, it has an impact upon you. And certainly, the presence of a pope who was holy, that's a double whammy. <laughs> you know? Sure. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, St. John Paul to Benedict XVI and now Pope Francis, uh, they're drawn to, uh, this was, I think, the sixth Asian Youth Day or something in, in Korea that they were celebrating. And yeah. uh, these saintly people, these holy people are drawn to the energy of youth because they share in that, that fervor, that excitement. And, you know, 
Um, Pope Francis is what, 78 years old now? And 77. 77. Yeah, yeah. And still, though, you look at his smile and his eyes and his excitement, his fervor that he has for his faith, and it's not unlike a 15-year-old who's on fire with, uh, with God. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so you can see why there's a real synergy when it comes to holy people and youth when they get together, especially in, in, in faith. Yeah. And as you're talking, Bob, I can't help but think, and I want to get ahead of myself, but I can't help but think about the gospel we're going to hear uh, this upcoming Sunday, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20, where we're going to hear about Peter's confession of faith and, and his commission. We always read that gospel text, Bob, in light of uh, Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, Peter walking on water, but then falling in the water. Um, why do I bring this up? Well, Peter was a man who was ardently in love with Jesus Christ, and at the same time, he was sticking his foot in his own mouth. He was wavering in his faith. And, and I think as one who is the first pope, we need to be mindful that Pope Francis, he, he has this same kind of almost uh, childlike ardor and love for Jesus Christ. And so as we've already talked about, he's so quick to say, I'm human. We have to remember that. <laughs> just like Peter was human, just like Peter uh, doubted him three times, just like Peter uh, fell time and time again, he got back up because of his love for Jesus Christ. Uh, Petrus Romanus, Petrus Romanus, Peter the Roman, this is who I think of when uh, I see Pope Francis. Not because he's some big clumsy old fool, no, but he seems to place an emphasis on his, on his humanity. And by doing so, it's a very real, humble gesture and reminder for all of us that, uh, yeah, uh, we are like him. And we need to be more like him in his ardent, uh, fervent love for Jesus Christ. And, you know, that, that fervor and that childlike quality, I think, is one of the reasons why anybody who wants to try to criticize him have a difficult time doing so. They can't really make some of the heavy issues that they may have with the church or with the papacy or anything else really stick to this, this, this Pope, this Pope Francis, because, because he's just so lovable because he is so, uh, he's so wonderful in his demeanor and the way that he deals with things. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Bob. And as we've talked so much about kind of bigger picture stuff with Pope Francis, it's always good to be reminded of that because in the end, I do believe that to be a very salient truth. And this is what we saw with St. John Paul II uh, because it was in his demeanor. It was in the way he carried himself. Remember, Again, he was time man of the year, right? He had all the credentials, and I'm, you know, quote-unquote, that one Pope Francis has. So, yeah, you see that, and it really starts with a humility. And in light of this, as we were talking about previous popes, it was on his trip uh, back to Vatican City from Korea that he made some news. <laughs> because talking to reporters on a flight back to the Vatican from South Korea— the 77-year-old pontiff, who seemed in good spirits, was asked about his global popularity, which was evident in this trip to South Korea. And this is what he said. I see it as the generosity of the people of God. I try to think of my sins, my mistakes, not to become proud, because I know it will last only a short time. And this next sentence got a lot of air time, Bob. Two or three years, and then I'll be off to the father's house. <laughs> he replied lightheartedly. Huh. That's interesting, a lot of people <laughs> said. The Argentina Pope said, 
He could handle the popularity more naturally these days, though at first he said it scared him a little. Interesting. While the Pope has not spoken publicly before about when he might meet his maker, a Vatican source said he had previously told those close to him that he only had, he thought he only had a few years left. Uh, certainly, uh, people are talking about this. Pope Francis also mentioned the possibility of retiring from the papacy as his predecessor, Benedict XVI, did last year, if he felt he could no longer adequately perform his duties. He may note that uh, he's been experiencing some nerve problems, which require a great deal of treatment. And this was disclosed for the first time. Point being here, did he just say <laughs> what I thought years. he just said? Yeah. Yeah. What is he saying? You know, I had gotten a, an email a few days ago. I mean, are papacies now to you know presidential terms? Benedict the eight years, is Francis looking at four years? No, no, no. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in that way. I think what he's doing here is he is letting us know that at the very least he's thinking about it and uh, that we are to pray for him that uh, his strength may be sustained and ultimately he do the Father's will, that he adhere uh, totally and entirely to what God is calling him to do. He certainly has uh, worn his faith on his sleeve. This is, again, part of what makes him so attractive, Bob. It doesn't surprise me, quite honestly, that he is so open about this. Uh, but I do think it should be, if nothing else, an encouragement of prayer and a call to pray for Pope Francis, that if he's supposed to be there for two more years, he has the humility, like Benedict XVI, to step down, or if he's, if he's feeling that prompting to go another five or six years, that he responds to that prompting. In essence, he is a man of the Holy Spirit, Bob, and he will do what the Holy Spirit calls him to do. Right, and I think it's another example of that humanist we're talking about. He's being realistic mm -hmm. about you know his age, his energy. That this is this is a man who you know a month or so ago was talking about how he likes to take a nap. You know, mm -hmm. and yeah. again, it's that natural humility, or maybe it's not natural, but that that genuine humility that he has that everybody is attracted to it creates a popularity. And the thing that you know, as you read that, that I was struck with when I read that same account is um, him being you know scared at first of the popularity and you know i i think he's not frightened because of being in the spotlight i think he was frightened about what it might do how it yeah. might change him yeah and so you know again you can you can tell that in the things that he says and the things that we read that he writes in this exhortation uh this is a man who really subscribes to his own personal humility first and foremost before he addresses anyone else's yeah. and so i could see where that would be frightening for someone like him you yeah. know to get that huge popularity and it would be frightening I tell you what, every time I read something from Pope Francis, if it's a paragraph from the exhortation that we're going to be talking about here in a bit, or if it's something he says at a Wednesday audience, I cannot get that image of him on the balcony on the day he was elected where he, he looked frightened. During the headlights, In his own yeah. words. He, him just kind of looking out there. You know, I, I remember watching the screen, you know, yelling at the television screen, move, do something, you know, let the people know you're excited. <laughs> but there was something much deeper going on. There was a message, and that message was humility. That message was his humanity. And that, again, is what people have come to love. And amen to that. Amen to that. Boy, he has really... He has really set a precedent for the next pope. Huh? Yeah, he has. <laughs> you know? yeah. This this emphasis that we've been talking about of his humility, uh, his humanity, his constant espousing towards poverty. Wow. 
I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about that much more. But, Bob, I did want to give some airtime to uh, paragraph 74 and 75 uh, and wrap up this subsection on the challenges that urban cultures present to this call to evangelize. And here in these paragraphs, Bob, he's focusing in on, yeah, the challenges that cities present. And uh, so I just, I'll go ahead and read here paragraph 74 midway through. He says, Cities create a sort of permanent ambivalence because while they offer their residents countless possibilities, they also present many people with any number of obstacles to the full development of their lives. This contrast causes painful suffering. In many parts of the world, cities are the scenes of mass protests where thousands of people call for freedom, a voice in public life. What's key here in this paragraph is to understand what he means by ambivalence. In one hand, he's talking about the countless possibilities that cities provide, and yet at the same time, there's many uh, obstacles. The word ambivalence literally translated means a simultaneous conflict of feeling. Huh? So you have uh, the pros over here and, and the cons over here, and it lends itself to this kind of interior tension that can stretch us to a point where we are no longer seen as we ought. You know, in many ways, Bob, as he's talking about this, I cannot help but think of how in the bustling of these major cities, we tend to lose our sense of reason. We tend to lose our sense of right from wrong, our moral compass. Because of the noise, our sense of reason for all intents and purposes has been drowned out. And what he's saying here is the big city, the urban area collectively presents a challenge in of itself that we need to be able to overcome and work through. It's not to remove ourselves from the city, but when we are in the city, to be mindful that cities are made up of individuals and that the individual comes before the city and that if cities are going to change, then individuals must change. And then we have to take stock still all the while of the importance in that one-on-one encounter. Again, looking for ways and opportunities to hand on and to share the faith. And he offers the challenge. You need to be creative. You need to do things that are a bit unorthodox. And I don't speak of unorthodox in, you know, in the truest sense of the word. I speak to it in a more generic sense. Think outside the box so as to get people's attention so as to evangelize the heart. Cities make it difficult. (laughs) Something is within the city that Pope Francis says, uh, we have to be careful, okay? Uh, But in saying that, step up to the plate and embrace that challenge. Sure, and you you think about, you know, what comes to mind when preparing for this this paragraph here, and we touched on it briefly a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, you go into, into a city... Um, we don't live in a city here in Chico, California, where we are right now is not what you would necessarily call a city in the context that I'm sure Pope Francis is thinking about or you know, when, he, when he wrote this exhortation. Uh, he's thinking about something much larger, much more mm-hmm. multicultural. I th- I'm thinking of a San Francisco or New York, mm-hmm. in his mm-hmm. case, Sao Paulo or, you know, uh, huge, huge metropolitan areas. Yeah. And I can't help but think about San Francisco and the walk for life. Mm. And, you know, you... You see that in, in, in the walk, and for those of us who have had a chance to experience that every January, third week of January, it's a, a unique thing in San Francisco. When you have 40,000 
you know, believers. They're and growing. Life and yeah. growing each and every year. And as you're, as you're marching through the streets of San Francisco, you see the shoppers, you see the people who are, who are um, going to and from other places of business, even on a Saturday, because people work in the cities, you know, seven days a week, pretty much. Mm-hmm. People going about their way. And then all of a sudden you see them come upon this throng of mostly, you know, predominantly young people and, and families who are marching for pro-life. And it's astounding to see the effect and even more remarkable to feel the effect that it mm-hmm. has around you. And it's not just within, you know, those who are there to participate. You see it start to creep out in and amongst some of the people who stop and they look and they wonder and they, they, they just are amazed at what's going on. And mm. I, think, I think that's a, kind of a good example of what can, so. can take place in a city mm-hmm. because of the density. Very much so. I cannot help but think the first Walk for Life trip I made it was towards the end of the walk when this young man says, just do your thing, go shopping, and get out of our city. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Do your thing, go shopping, and get out of our city. Of course, he was pr- protesting on the other side. Very much speaks to what you're talking about. And I remember it was just two years ago. Where I don't know if it was a gal who actually was one of the speakers on stage or if I just spoke to her off on the side. I think I just spoke to her off on the side. She, she was talking about how two years previous, she was on her honeymoon. And she had fallen away from the Christian faith. She saw these 40,000 walkers, and it moved her deeply. And she vowed two years previous to when I saw her to come back because it brought her back to the Christian faith. And that struck me. No one said anything to her, and her heart was evangelized very much speaks to what you're talking about, Bob, and very much speaks to what lies underneath what Pope Francis wants us to see. And how important then is it, Bob, for us in our local cities? And yeah, Chico's a city, but it's not in San Francisco. But how important is it for us in our local town of Chico or wherever you're from, Corning, Redding, Stockton, Modesto, Turlock, to uh, take stock of your local parishes, how vested they are in this pro-life issue to get people on a bus and to go to San Francisco. Because it was, because of the 40,000 people that were there, that she was impacted. Well, the first, uh, first go-around was, what, 2,000 walkers? I think there was 2,000 protesters as well, that first that walk first for That first year that we, we both attended were, yeah, that I one. I think yeah. there were more, more protesters to those who were protesting. But now it's, it's yeah, 40,000 and growing and literally maybe 100, 100 who are protesting. I tell you, it's, it's a powerful, powerful witness. So as we are talking about this, Bob, I cannot help but think of also the major Walk for Life out in Washington, D.C. In many ways, the Walk for Life West Coast was Archbishop Levada, Archbishop of San Francisco, Archbishop Levada's attempt to take the Walk for Life out to um, his native diocese. Now... What a better place to do it than San Francisco. I mean, from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco, you have two major ports to the culture of death. And so uh, we also want to encourage those who are out in uh, the Washington, D.C. area and more collectively those who would be more inclined to go to Washington, D.C. to do everything that you can so as to get out there. The more people, the greater the witness and the greater impact you will have. Now, I think this, Bob, brings us to paragraph 75 uh, in Joy of the Gospel, where he talks about the importance 
of evangelizing our homes, yes, but also our neighborhoods. He says, houses and neighborhoods are more often built to isolate and and protect than to connect and integrate. I want to say that again. Houses and neighborhoods are more often built to isolate and protect than to connect and integrate. So again, he's saying, what are we doing? Yes, in our homes, but also in our own local neighborhoods. I'm thinking about the first time my father-in-law came out here from the Midwest uh, to California. What's, a, what's with all these fences, Joe? <laughs> you know, you guys aren't able to talk to your neighbors, right? Because in the Midwest, they don't have any fences, at least not out in the farm where he's from. Are we having block parties that are uh, making available opportunities to get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ more, right? I'm thinking of this because we had one four or five years ago, and it really struck me, Bob, that uh, how life-giving that block party was. And I myself am very much challenged Uh, When I read this paragraph, I thought, you want to know what? Yeah, there's a lot that uh, God has called me to and and called us to, but we need to be more effective. I know I need to be more effective in evangelizing our neighborhood, trusting that providentially God has called us to be there for a reason. Yeah, we've gotten to know our neighbors, but what about two houses down? It's kind of silly to think about the fact that I don't even know my neighbor's name three houses down. And this is what Pope Francis is saying. Isn't that silly? Do something about that. And then there's what I do is I hurry out to my car and get in the car as quickly as I can, hoping that nobody will slow me down and, God forbid, you know, join me in conversation. That's awful. And I'm Mm -hmm. embarrassed to admit it. But many times I'm in a hurry. I usually wait till the last minute and have just enough time to get to where I'm going. And I have a neighbor who doesn't have a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And I literally run to my car, and, and many times if he's out there and he wants to, wants to talk to me, I have to say, hey, hey I'm sorry, I, I'm on my way, I've got to go. And that's it's embarrassing mm-hmm. to stop and think about it, that I don't even have the time to just give him a few minutes or a few moments. Or like you, I, I don't take the time to get to know some of my neighbors because they may throw me off of my busy schedule. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, that's the danger of, of what happens to us when we get involved with or, or affected by the noise, by the hubbub of mm-hmm. all those things that distract us from really, really dealing with people who providentially are put there for the very purpose for us to either make that choice, talk to them, share a faith, or move along. And it's interesting, as we're talking about this, Bobby says, hey, if we want the human trafficking, the drug trade, the prostitution to change in our cities, and we've got it in the city of Chico, again, not in San Francisco, but I'll tell you what, with Chico State University, we've got it here. If we want that to change... We need to first take care of our own business. And yes, that's inside of our home, but also it's within our neighborhood. And we need to take ownership of this call we have on a very personal level to affect change everywhere we go. And this is what he hammers home. He says, yeah, we can be tied to certain evangelization programs, but it can't be so rigid that it's not flexible, that it is, it is not open to the way in which the Holy Spirit wants to work spontaneously. We need to be ever-present to the promptings of the Holy Spirit inside the home, in our neighborhood, when we go downtown, that we might can, that we would begin to be the leaven of the gospel in our daily journey of faith. I'm looking up at the clock here, uh, Bob, and we're out of time. I don't know if you had any closing thoughts. No, just amen to that. It's just we always feel like we can't really affect change in our world, but we really can. All we have to do is just look right outside our front door.
Amen. Let us close in a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.